Today's episode is brought to you by Anchor.fm, the easiest way to make a podcast. Haven't heard about Anchor? Well, let me explain. It's free. That's right, F-R-E-E, free. Anchor has many creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then take your podcast and distribute it for you. It can now be heard on multiple podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your dream now. What up, world? It's your boy, AJ Johnson, one half of the mighty Rough Cut Sportscast. It is the best day of the year. Tuesday, December 22nd, opening day of the NBA. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I could not wait for this day. I, we thought it was going to be January. It could have been February, but they found a way to get us in time for a coveted Christmas Day games. It's Christmas week. It's the best start to the best finish of the year, and we got the NBA for it. So, like always, I'm bringing my NBA preview. We're going to drop this in a two-parter. So, the first video, we are giving you the NBA award predictions. Second part of the video, I'm going to be talking to you about the playoff teams, the teams I think that are going to be there till the very end. So, without further ado, let's get into it. But before I do, I want to let you guys know where you can find us on all of our social media. Hit us up on Facebook, at Rough Cut Sports. On Twitter at roughcut underscore sports and on Instagram at the roughcut sports. Tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your brother, tell your sister, tell everybody. Hit that like, hit that share, hit that subscribe. We appreciate you. Let's get it. So first up, first up, we're gonna talk a little bit about these rookies coming in. We got a pretty decent class. We all knew what they had to offer with the top three in Anthony Edwards and Lamella Ball and James Wiseman. I'm gonna talk about a couple guys that I think have a legitimate shot at taking home the rookie of the year honors. So first up, we're gonna talk about Lamella Ball. Now remember, this has been a different year. You know, these rookies they don't get a full summer camp. Uh, they don't get the summer league to play in, you know, in Vegas and really get to show their talent on 5-5 five and five against the rookies and the second-year players in the league. So these guys aren't really getting their feet wet. They're coming right in, and they're expected to produce almost immediately. And, you know, depending on the talent level, some of them are going to be able to do that. Some of these guys are expected to hold down the mantle. And with that being said, a lot of them are going to have a chance to take home this hardware. What you need to be able to take home this hardware as a rookie is talent and opportunity. And here's some of the guys I think have it. So first up, obviously, LaMelo Ball. A lot of people, a lot of experts have him as a front runner for this award. LaMelo Ball has great vision. He's a natural. He's been on the scene since he was 13 years old. You know, what he did at, China, at Chino Hills, dropping 92 points in a high school game, uh, going overseas and playing with Illawarra and the Hawks and uh, dropping 17 points a game over there, things of that nature. It's raw talent. It's natural. He has it in bunches, and he's already shown some of this stuff in the preseason. Everyone's wowed about his assist game and uh, the way he sees the court, his alley-oop game, and I think he's got a really good thing going in Charlotte. 
I'm really liking this LaMelo Ball to Miles Bridges connection. Uh, I think Devontae Graham is going to be really good for him. And as well as learning from a vet like Gordon Hayward. Uh, so LaMelo Ball, he's got some he's got some things to work on. Uh, he's got to get that shot a little bit better, which he's already started to work on. And by year two, by, by year three, he can be one of the best shooters in the Ball family. I'm not going to go crazy and say in the league, but definitely in the Ball family. Um, he's got great touch around the rim. He's quick with the ball. He's got handles. He can finish at the rim. He's 6'8", so he's got that point-forward style game. And he's going to have a lot of opportunity. Before season's end, he will be the guy who is running that offense and seeing the floor with the vision of his. And also, being you know tutored by the great Michael Jordan doesn't do any hurt towards your stock at this occurrence. So that's a little bit about LaMelo Ball. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about, James Wiseman. I am excited for this player. Now, not a lot of people got to see this guy. He only got to play the three games um, in college, you know, the whole Penny Hardaway situation. And he decided to go ahead and forego the rest of the season and prepare for the NBA draft. And then he got a positive COVID test. So he wasn't even allowed to play in the preseason. So nobody's really got to see this guy on this level. But if you have, if you have seen this guy, you know what you're looking at. I'm here to tell you, this guy is no joke. He's seven foot one, long and lanky, but he runs the floor like he's a six foot one guard. His natural ability on the defense to block shots, his natural ability to crash the boards and be a monster on the rebound is going to do a lot for the Golden State Warriors. I was stoked about this pick. I was when they started talking. You know, the Warriors first got this pick at number two, and they were thinking about trading it for a vet. I understood the idea, but when I saw James Wiseman sit there and all the Anthony Edwards going one talk. I was like, they can't pass this pick up. If there was anything that they were lacking in Golden State, it was a talented big man. And that's exactly what James Wiseman is. He's a rim runner. He's got height. He's got long legs. And he's got the drive. All this kid wants to do is get better. And he knows how to do it. Steve Kerr has already compared him to the likes of David Robinson. I think he's the best big prospect we've seen come out of the draft since Anthony Davis. And he has that type of talent. He can shoot. He's got the mid-range. He's got the hook. He's got great footwork around the basket. I think he's going to make an immediate impact for the Golden State Warriors and have them looking really good. So if if everything goes according to plan, which I assume it will, he's going to be right there at the top ready to take home this hardware. Another guy to talk about, Obi Toppin out of Dayton. If you don't know about this kid, most people hear Obi Toppin and they think, oh, that's that guy with all the dunks. He's a high flyer from Dayton. No big deal. For the people who don't realize, I'm here to tell you he was much, much more than just a high flyer. Obi Toppin started out as a zero-star recruit. He didn't get any Division One offers. He had to make his way up from the bottom, and he did just that. From no, from no offers to National Player of the Year by the time he finished college says a lot. Says a lot about his basketball IQ, says a lot about his drive, and a lot about his hunger. The fact that he slipped to eight to me blew my mind. However, it's not a bad thing. There's a lot of young talent going around New York. And it's a new era with uh, with Leon Rose uh, at the helm and trying to get that culture to change. We know there's still the James Dolan aspect, but we're not going to go too hard into that because we're talking about the rookie. Now, Obi Toppin has a lot to learn. Uh, you know, he's still he's still one of those prospects that did do a lot as far as running the running the floor and dunking the ball. He had a pretty decent shot in, in college. He had 39% clip from three-point. Uh, but that's not all he can do. I mean, he can shoot. He can rebound. 
He can block, and he's a great gifted passer. A lot of people don't understand the vision that he has for his size. And he's got the strength to get that ball wherever he wants it, whether it's a dart across the court or a precision bounce pass on the transition. He has the vision to do it and the willingness to do it. All this guy cares about is getting better. The thing I'm worried about with him is there's a lot, a lot of big man competition in New York. You know, you got Julius Randle, you got Mitchell Robinson, you got Nerlens Noel, and he's got to battle all those guys for playing time. So if he doesn't come along quickly, he might not get the minutes to take home the Rookie of the Year award. Some honorable mentions, uh, Killian Hayes in Detroit. He's a point guard who's played pro for the last three seasons in France. He's really gifted, got great instincts. Um, he's going to do a lot for Detroit, and they're going to like him a lot there with Jeremy Grant, uh, who just came over from Denver. Anthony Edwards, the number one pick. I mean, this guy can score at will, but he's he's going to compete for buckets with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns over there in Minnesota. And Tyrese Halliburton went to Sacramento. That's a steal for Sacramento to get another good guard to make a decent backcourt of young guys next to De'Aaron Fox. Tyrese Halliburton has a lot of great instincts. He can see the floor well, and if he gets the playing time that he deserves... He and De'Aaron Fox will do a lot, a lot of damage with that big man, Hassan Whiteside, they got down there, and Rashawn Holmes, they got down there. And um, oh, what's the other guy? I love this guy, too. Um, Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley was the guy I was thinking about. I had to get that out. That was going to bug me. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my pick. I am thinking LaMelo Ball is going to take home this honor this year. And I, I'm not, I know that sounds like the easy pick, but the thing is, he's going to have so much control. The ball is constantly going to be in his hand. So he's going to be able to create. He's going to be able to put up numbers at the rim. He's going to be able to put up high assist numbers. He's 6'8". He's going to be able to rebound with some of the best of the guards and big men who come out in the rookie class. So I, I think he's going to get it. My my runner-up is James Wiseman, and I tell you, it's so close. It is so close. I'm not surprised. I would not be surprised if James Wiseman takes home this but he's got so much to compete with. I mean, you got Steph Curry. Uh, they just brought in Kelly Oubre to take off some of that Steph, uh, take off some of that Clay Thompson hurt. Draymond Green is going to be there. He's got a lot to a lot to compete with for touches. But if he can run the floor, like I stated, if he can get a monster on the boards and on the defensive end of the ball, he can be right there at the top. So I think this is going to be really close. But I am going to lock in my pick, and I think Lamelo Ball will take home this honor. All right, so we're going to move on from Rookie of the Year, and we are going to jump right in to Defensive Player of the Year. The guys we're looking at here for Defensive Player of the Year. First up, we're going to talk about Anthony Davis. Last season, he put up seven defensive rebounds, 1.5 steals, 2.3 blocks a game, had a 102 defensive rating. For those who don't understand what defensive rating is, let me explain it a little bit to you. The way they calculate this is how many points does a opponent score on you as an individual per 100 possessions? So, you know, if a player scored every single 100 possessions on you inside the paint, that's a 200 defensive rating. That's horrible. If you scored threes every single possession, that's a 300. You don't want that. You want the lower number. 102 per 100 possessions, that's great. That's fantastic. And that's what Anthony Davis did last year. Uh, he is hungry. Uh, last season, Davis was always in the right spot to make the right play, and he always does. He's a superstar. And I think after last year getting the success that he saw in the bubble, he's hungry and wants this award. Um, so he's going to be right there in the thick of it, competing against last year's Defensive Player of the Year, Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
11.4 defensive rebounds last year, one steal, one block per game, but a 97 defensive rating. First in the league. First in defensive win shares. Both those guys, first in uh, all defense. So great defensive acumen. You've seen Giannis. You know what he's about. Long, lanky, monster in the paint. He's stopping up. He's clogging it up. You're not getting by him. He's he's putting the ball away from the rim and sending it the other direction. Third player to win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same season in NBA history and the first to do it since Michael Jordan did. So the thing here is he's going to have to up it a lot because he won it last year. To, to be able to get it back-to-back, I know Draymond did it. I know Gobert did it. You got to have that uptick. You got you got to be better than you were last year. And there's no reason to think he won't be. He's 25, 26 years old. His stardom is only rising. So there's a good shot that he has another chance at it. The third guy I want to talk about here, uh, Bam Adebayo. We saw this kid come on really well last year. He's got to raise that defensive rating. He was only at a 106 last year. Uh, he's got to raise his rebounds. He was only at about 7.8. But he's a guy who realized how he came along defensively, and I think he wants that to be his moniker. Uh, I mean, how close were we to giving him Defensive Player of the Year last year just for that block on Jason Tatum in the playoffs? It was outstanding. This man controls the paint, and he loves to do it. So if he can get his rebounds up to about the 9, the 10 area, the double-digit area would be really nice. If he can get about two blocks a game, 1.5, two steals a game, I think he would be an ideal candidate to take home that Defensive Player of the Year honor. Uh, some guys in the conversation here, uh, Rudy Gobert, you can't not mention him. He He's a candidate for it every single year. Uh, ben Simmons, another good guy who, who plays guard and he's quick and he gets to play all the big men. So he's got a little bit of a speed edge on some of the bigger men he plays, like the centers and the power forward position, uh, which allows him to be in the conversation for this year after year as well. And, uh Andre Drummond, just because he said he wanted to win it, so I'm not going to count him out. If this man thinks he's got a shot, he's one of the best rebounders in the league. He is a force at the rim. He just has to keep that will through the 72 games, and he might be a guy who's in the conversation. Uh, I'm going to give an honorable mention here to James Wiseman. I think he has the defensive acumen and the prowess to do it, but he's a rookie, and you got to catch up to that speed in the NBA, so I don't know if he will be able to do that his first year, but I do think he has the talent and the potential to do so. Um so I'm going to lock in my pick. And I'll be honest, this is kind of a, a gut pick for me. I'm, I'm kind of going with just like what I feel and what I saw last season. I'm, I'm going with Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis is in his prime. And after having that taste of success he had last year, uh, you know, getting farther in the playoffs, hitting big-time game-winning shots at the buzzer, winning a championship. But like I said, he's hungry, and I think he wants it more and more. And with LeBron on his side, that's easily attainable. So I'm going to go with Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year, and I think he's going to lock in another individual award on his resume, shooting him up the boards, getting ready for that Hall of Fame end of a career. Uh, my runner-up is going to be Giannis. Again, he, he's capable of doing it for a second year in a row, but he, he's got to improve. I think he has to be at a, at a level of two blocks and two steals a game. Um, and then my dark horse is Bam Adebayo. So I kind of went the one, two, and three that I talked about, but really those those guys, they all have a great opportunity to do something special on the defensive side of the ball this season. So we're going to keep it moving. Now we're going to talk about the sixth man of the year. This award. <laughs> so the first point, first people we're going to talk about is actually two teammates. And they come from the Brooklyn Nets. 
And that's Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, the reason I mentioned both these guys is because Karis LeVert is a little hurt right now, which is going to put Spencer Dinwiddie into the starting lineup. However, it is not clear that Karis LeVert won't become the starter once he is fully healthy. So we're not sure which one of these guys is going to come off the bench. But either way, both of these guys are capable of doing it. We saw, we got to see Karis LeVert come on real well last year. The Brooklyn Nets is a team that benefited from having two stars being out last year with, you know, uh, KD and Kyrie Irving injured. So all these players got a lot of time to play, a lot of court run. They understand the game. They got to get up to speed. And Karis LeVert came on real strong at the end of the season and definitely in the bubble. We got to watch this man drop 37 and 40, time in and time out, just playing like a man possessed and showing you that he was there to stay. So now... With KD coming back and Kyrie coming back and having these players around him, having a Karis LeVert or a Spencer Dinwiddie running that second unit, that's going to be tough. This team has a lot of depth. And having a guy like that right at the start and someone you can play deep in minutes next to KD and next to Kyrie is going to speak volumes. So either one of these guys, it's just going to depend who's riding the pine. But the way they helped them last year and kept them relevant, I think they're going to take a big step this year. And one of those guys could easily take home the sixth man of the year. Uh, second player or third player we'll talk about, uh, Lou Williams. Honestly, I don't know how the sixth man of the year isn't just spelled Lou Williams. Like, I don't remember a year that Lou Williams wasn't in the running for it. Like, I mean, he, he named his newborn son six. Like, It's a three-time sixth man of the year award winner. Basically, Lou Will is a walking sixth man of the year. Now, his points per game regressed a little bit last season, having to make room for all the new pieces around him. And we all know about the chemistry issues that was reported that they had. Kind of made it a little difficult for him to kind of keep up that same level that he's used to playing at. But I do believe having Tyrone Lou step up as a coach, he knows what Lou will bring to the table. And I think Paul George and Kawhi also acknowledge how important he is to this team. And I think you'll see him getting back up to his 20 points per game type of season. And he can be right there at the top. Of this list, ready to take home his fourth six man of the year. I can't not mention last year's six man of the year, Montrez Harrell. Uh, rough rider, got a high motor, and he does the dirty work. And now he's on the Lakers, where he's going to be expected to take that mentality up an entire notch. You know, you can't be around LeBron and AD, who's going to be hanging their hat on defense and then be a scrub. And Montrez Harrell ain't no scrub. So him down in the center, playing big man, and putting that ball through the hole the way he does. There's a good chance that he could be right there in the running. But my issue is that I think that he's going to end up being a starter. Um, he can play that five position, and having Marcus Saul come off the bench and play his center role might be a little bit more fitting for the style they want to play. So I don't know if he'll be able to keep up the, the rate he had as a Clipper to be a six-man of the year on this Los Angeles Lakers team. Um, for honorable mentions here, uh, Dennis Schroeder, he's also with the Lakers, but he's vying to be a starter. He's good enough to do so. Tyler Hero, uh, he's looking like he's going to come up behind Duncan Robinson. So he's a candidate that could have a much better year after we saw what he did in the bubble last year and towards the end of the season on their NBA Finals run. Uh, so those are some honorable mentions. Uh, I am going to go and lock my pick in with whichever six-man comes out of Brooklyn. That team is just so deep. And those guys have really taken steps forward. They're going to be two of the prime six-man candidates to watch. Whoever's coming off the bench at Brooklyn, six-man of the year. That's that's a call. I think that's how it is. I'm locking that in. I don't even need to tell you about what I think could happen with the other guys. Six-man of the year is coming out of Brooklyn this year. 
book it. All right. So now we're going to move on to the most improved player. <laughs> Crazy part here. This is another award that two players from the same team have a shot. And those are two guys out of, out of Denver on the Nuggets. First one we're going to talk about is Michael Porter Jr. So this guy was a projected number one overall pick. But when he was in Missouri, he had a serious back injury along with a few other minor injuries that kind of held him up. But everybody knew that this guy, if he was healthy, was going to be a great, great player in the NBA. And the Nuggets wound up with him at the 14th pick overall. And that's a steal. I promise you that. He had to sit out his first season. And then he had to get worked into the rotation his second year. He had to learn the speed of the NBA. He had to find a way to come along. And he started to do that. Now, there was a couple attitude issues with him when he got into the bubble, complaining about playing time to the media. But he's a young player. Stuff like that happens. But it worked out because they gave him that extra playing time. And he ran with it. I mean, his first game, he was kind of brick, brick, brick city. But after that, he kind of found out his groove. You know, he, he understood if he wasn't producing on the offensive end, he was hustling back down the defensive end and making things happen. And then his shot came. And that's what happens with these players. As their rhythm keeps going, shots start to fall. Not a lot of players worry about their shots. Think about, like, I know this isn't the most improved player conversation, but think about Michael Conley last year with the Jazz. He could not find his shot for the longest. He was having a real down year. They took that break. He came back. He said, this is what I do. I've been in this league a long time. I'm a veteran. I understand. And in the bubble, he had some of his best games yet. Michael Porter Jr. is of that capability. He's starting to come along in the league. Listen to this. So in the beginning of the season, Throughout the 55 games he played in the regular season, he averaged 9.3 points a game, shooting 51% from the field and 42% from three. Once he got to the bubble, he was able to up that to 14 points a game, 7.2 rebounds a game, still shot a 50% clip from field and 39 from three. So he understands what this game is to him. He understands how to take it by the reins, and I think he's going to take a huge step forward. Now the other guy from Denver, Jamal Murray. Man, it was so crazy to me when I started looking through stats and I was like, Jamal Murray might be a most improved candidate because if you think about him and what he did in the playoffs, you're like, how is he going to improve from what he did? Well, his playoff run was nothing, nothing like his regular season run. In the regular season, he was averaging 18.5 a game, four rebounds and 4.8 assists, 45% from the, from the field, 34 from three. Once he got to the bubble, he upped that to 24.4 points a game. 4.8 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 50% from the field, and a whole 10% increase, 44% from three-point land. We watched this man drop 50 twice against the Utah Jazz in the first round and another 42 from the field. This man was taking over the game in the playoffs. Came back from a, what was it, 3-1 to deficit and took the Clippers out. We all know about that. What a story that was. Jamal Murray has the talent, has the drive, and has to start him to be a guy who can jump up to 25, 26 points a game all season long. And they have a squad that can get back to the Western Conference Final, and he'll be a key piece of that. So I look for Jamal Murray to take a huge step forward. Third guy I want to talk about, John Morant. <laughs> the reigning rookie of the year, and he was all that was promised and more. The way he would juke, the way he would jam. He was ja-amazing. Let's forget that I just said ja-amazing. <laughs> but seriously, like, Ja Morant was exciting. He was explosive. And when the season was ending, he was still trending upward. This kid was still getting better every time he touched the ball. 
And now this season, he's going to start without Justice Winslow, without Jerron Jackson Jr. So he's going to have to get off to a quick start. And the type of player John Moran is, once he does that, I don't believe he's going to slow down. He has all the talent in the world and all the reason to take a huge step forward and be a guy who's right at the top of the list for this Most Improved Player Award. We got, wow, we got, we got a lot. This, this award, man, you know, a lot of these rookies come up and the way they play ball now, there's so many people who can be thought about for the most improved player of the year. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, like what a steal in the trade for Paul George that OKC got. He was a huge part of helping the Thunder get to the playoffs. He was, he was deserving of the award last year, if you ask me, but you know, it didn't go that way. So now the reason I say that Shea Gilgis can be a part of this conversation, he may be near the top of the league for most improved player, is that the Thunder entered a full-on rebuild this year. They knocked down a lot of pieces, and SGA was the last man standing. Like, you look at this roster, I mean, you're talking, yes, Al Horford's there, I get that. You're hoping that Shea Gilgis can bring out Lugens Dort, who came out a little bit later in the season, but he's going to be their offense. He's going to be a big part of whatever OKC is trying to do as they start this rebuild. So I feel kind of bad he's the only guy left, but it may it may end him up having a most improved player award. So we're going to see how that goes through. Tyler Hero. Well, I mean, what more can I say? He's a bucket. <laughs> he's a bucket. He came on strong last season. He was a vital part of the Heat reaching the NBA Finals. Had that huge 37-point showing in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, yeah. He was a rookie last year. 37 points in the Eastern Conference Finals as a rookie. He caught up to the speed of the NBA real fast, and that bodes real well for Hero as a pro. And for a team that's looking to make it back to the NBA Finals, Hero's going to be right there leading the second unit, coming in behind Duncan Robinson, playing with Duncan Robinson and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic and those boys. He's definitely a candidate. I think he's going to take a big jump from the 13-5 he averaged last season and the 16-3 he averaged in the bubble. I can I can easily see I can see Tyler Hero scoring 18 a game. I really can. 18, 19 points a game. Uh, so he's right there. A couple mentions. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker from the Lakers. Uh, he's had a great preseason. He keeps a good circle around him. LeBron talks really highly about him. Tony Allen is impressed by this guy. Has great respect for him. Uh, another good little mention. Kobe White. Uh, this kid had the gene in him from the jump. But he was on a squad last year with no promise. You know, the Chicago Bulls, we didn't get to really see him that much. But now Don- Billy Donovan's coming in. The way he changes the cu- the culture and the expectation he has, I believe Kobe White's going to make a vast improvement. So we're going to go ahead and lock in this pick here. I mean, this one's hard, man. This one is really hard. Like, I... I, I... I want. I'm gonna say Jamal Murray. I think Jamal Murray is the guy we are looking at. I'm expecting him to be explosive. If Michael Porter doesn't take too much away from him, I'm expecting him to be explosive. Jamal Murray can easily be the guy that takes this away. So I'm gonna go ahead and take Jamal Murray as my pick to lock it in. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give John Morant my runner up. I think I think he's poised for another big year. John Morant's gonna be one of those players that just keeps getting better year in and year out. And we don't have anything to worry about him as a player and as a superstar to be in this league. We are coming down to the nitty and the gritty. The last couple ones, we're going to do this a little fast. So we're talking about the coach of the year here. Uh, First person I want to talk about, Steve Nash. All right, I got you. I heard half of y'all go, what? Yes, he's a first-year coach. And if you're thinking about Jason Kidd and Derek Fisher, first-year coaches don't really bode that well. But Steve Nash is a little different. And we all know Steve Nash is a little different. 
And here's the thing. It's not even just because he's coaching the Brooklyn Nets. It's not just because he has Kyrie and Kevin Durant and all the guys I talked about earlier and the Karis LeVerts and the Spencer Dinwiddies and the Jared Allens. It's not even that. A head coach is only as good as the assistant coaches he has around him to help. And talk about a star-studded cast on the court. They've got a star-studded cast of coaches on the bench. First off, Jacques Vaughn took over interim coach when they fired Kenny Atkinson. He stayed. He stayed on to play with Steve Nash and be a coach to help him. Let him know what the culture is like. Let him know how they were doing things and how they can switch things up. Then, then they got Mike D'Antoni, who came over from the Rockets, to be an assistant coach. Mike D'Antoni can run an offense. And he runs offenses with superstars. He's been around superstars his entire coaching career. So he knows how to handle the Kevin Durants and the Kyrie Irvins. So to put these guys around Steve Nash and then to be able to coach the talent that they have, that's going to put him right there to do something special, to bring them from a 7th seed, which which we didn't think they had last year, to one of the top teams in the East. And I promise you they will be there come Eastern Conference Final times. But we'll talk about that in Part 2. Frank Vogel of the Lakers, coming off an NBA title and now at the helm of a team that has only gotten better. He knows the offense is going to be free-flowing from this team. That's going to happen. So he's going to bring his defensive acumen to the forefront. Defense and transition will allow them to win a lot of games and have Frank Vogel right at the top of the running for Coach of the Year. You know, something he wasn't even talked about last year, even though they won a title. Uh, Monty Williams from the Suns. You know, we watched this team come on real strong in the bubble, go undefeated 8-0. And now to have Chris Paul on your team, an extension of the coach on the floor to make sure this scheme is ran to perfection, will really allow will really allow it to shine a light on what Monty Williams is able to do with the young squad. You know, what he can do with the Devin Bookers and the Mikhail Bridges and the DeAndre Aytons. So I look for him to take a big bump up and this team to take a big bump up. And Monty Williams is going to be a big part of that. Uh, some honorable mentions, Eric Spoltra, always in the conversation. Uh, what he was able to do with that squad last year, I mean, he, they'll only get better the way he's able to develop talent. A smart coach, always in the conversation. Uh, Rick Carlisle uh, with the Mavs and Luka Doncic and some of the other pieces back. We're looking for that team to step up a little bit more, maybe hit the five seed or something like that in the playoffs. And Stan Van Gundy is now coaching the Pelicans. The worst part of the Pelicans last year was they didn't play defense. They're a young squad that still has to learn how to do that in the NBA. But Stan Van Gundy is a defensive coach, and if he can up their defense from 28th in the league to 15th or something like that, that's a huge jump, and I get it, but he could be in the conversation. But that's just my mentions. Um, I'm going to stick it. I'm going to stick with Steve Nash. That's going to be my pick. Like, there's just so much There's so much coaching experience around there. There's so much superstardom on that team. It reminds me a little bit of, like, I know Nick Nurse had to do a lot more with that Raptors squad that went to the went to the championship, but he was able to win it again without Kawhi and without a championship last year. Steve Nash is primed to do it with his squad and his coaching staff, so that's going to be my pick uh, for Coach of the Year. And lastly, Executive of the Year, there's only one pick here. There's only one pick, and it's the Lakers, Rob Palenka. Like, just just listen to what they did. So not only did they win the title last year, uh, but then they re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They re-signed Alex Caruso. They were, able to get, um, they were able to trade in the second round that brought them Taylor Horton Tucker a couple years ago. Then they traded for Dennis Schroeder. Then they got Montrez Harrell to come from the Lakers. Oh, I'm sorry, to come from the Clippers into the Lakers. They signed Wes Matthews to get them some more shooting. And then they locked up a big man in Marcus Saul, who's been around the league as a big-body bruiser, but still stretched the floor. 
And then and then they re-sign LeBron and Anthony Davis to long term. So I mean, for a team to win a title to just get that much bit that much better, like what else are you gonna do? I don't know who else you're gonna put up for exec of the year other than the Lakers and Rob Polinka. So those are some of the award predictions I have before we take it to the big one, the one that y'all wanna hear about, the one that I'm going to predict correct. You know, I'm gonna call it right now, it's gonna be correct. Let's talk MVP. Most valuable player. We got a couple names that we're going to talk about. Firstly, Luka Doncic. We've seen what this kid can do. There were a lot of questions when he came into the league, and he shut him down real fast. Real, real fast. And he's only gotten better year in and year out. Last year, he was ranked sixth in value over replacement. He was ranked fifth in, in plus and minus. Third in PER. This man averaged 29-9-9. and Like, as a 20-year-old. As a 20-year-old in the league, that's absurd. Like, that's absurd. He's a baby in the league, and he's doing things like that. He led the league in triple doubles last year with 17. He's a superstar in this league. He's coming off a sophomore season where he just watched him be clutch all season long, and he's only going to get better. He finished fourth last year in the MVP voting, and I think that's going to jump way, way up. He just needs the slightest bump in numbers. Imagine if that was 29-10-10. Imagine if that was 30-10-10. I mean, there's no denying that he can be right there with the best of them as an MVP candidate. And I think I think we're going to see a lot of that coming out of him this year. I mean, once he gets Kristaps Porzingis back healthy, he's just getting Dwight Powell back, who's going to help ease that transition while Porzingis is out. And then they added Josh Richardson, a 3 and D man that can help bump up his assist numbers. Once they're crashing in on Luka, and he's finding Josh Richardson out on the wing to knock those down. Jalen Brunson's coming back. That's going to take some of that some of that workload off of him to allow him to keep fresh. So when it's late in those games, he can show you that clutch gene that's going to undoubtedly raise his stock for MVP. Another name you knew had to be in this conversation, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Is there any reason to believe that a 25-year-old superstar is going to slow down? Have you seen the way this man moves? Have you seen the way this man attacks the rim? Have you seen the way this man plays defense? Giannis Antetokounmpo was going to be right there at the top of the league with the best players of the world. It's this close to being his league already. LeBron's got a couple more years, but he is getting older. Giannis is just getting better and better. It's going to be him and Luka and the Jason Tatums and the Anthony Davises of the world fighting this out in years to come. But this year, it's about Luka. It's about Giannis. And they have now given Giannis some help when they switched out Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday. I almost didn't even realize it happened because to me, Drew Holiday was a dude who was supposed to be next to Giannis the entire time. I like that piece a little bit better. Drew Holiday has done nothing but play with big men in the style of Giannis. So he's not going to be the type of point guard that gets in the way. Eric Bledsoe from time to time would like to try to take over. And not that he's not capable of that, but you just can't do that when you have a Giannis type of player next to you. Um, so I think I think that is going to help and loads to have a guy like Drew Holiday with you. They put some extra pieces around him on the wing so he can be able to kick out to those shooters, and that's definitely another part that's going to step up. So Giannis is going to be right there at the top like we all expected. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. I'm also going to go ahead and talk about his tandem partner in LeBron James. Both of these guys are going to be names that you're going to hear float around for the MVP. The issue here is that it's hard. It's hard to win MVP when you got two top five players on the same team. Unless, unless one of them defers to the other. And I think back to how D-Wade did it for LeBron in 2012. 
or or for instance, even though he didn't win it, how Russell Westbrook elevated Paul George in OKC, landing him a finalist spot. You know, he finished third that year uh, that Russ did that for him. So for me, I do believe that LeBron would defer to AD. He, we saw him do it a lot last year, but I know he wants AD to be as successful as possible. I know he wants him to take another step. He's called him the young prince. He's called him the dude who can take over the over the NBA when he's done. And so if LeBron has another double-digit assist season and it all results to AD improving his shooting to getting something like 54 or 55% field goal percentage, upping his defensive numbers like we already talked about, he wants to be a defensive player of the year. So with, with LeBron on his side, doing things like pushing him towards an MVP-type season, Anthony Davis could win this award. We know how we can't keep LeBron out of the conversation, so there will be voters that say it's going to be LeBron or it should be LeBron every single year. Um so we're going to talk that one. I'll give a little couple, a couple quick mentions here. Steph Curry uh, only played five games last year after a broken hand, but he's got to take on a little bit of a bigger role. Everyone's worried about the Clay Thompson part, but Kelly Oubre is a nice piece that they brought in to compliment him. I love, love the addition of James Wiseman. So, and, and, and honestly, if you watched any of Steph in the preseason, he looks like a kid in a candy store. He's so happy to just be playing basketball, and that will translate to great numbers. When you're just having fun playing the game you love, you'd be surprised how much that just makes you look like a much better player. So uh, quick mention there. I also want to mention Nikola Jokic. People forget about him because he's not flashy, but he's got a high basketball IQ. He's one of the best passing big men in the NBA and can drop a triple-double at any time. So if he has numbers that you know rise up from last season, he's somebody that can be in the conversation. And we can't leave out Kevin Durant. He's one of the best players on the planet. But coming off an Achilles injury, we just don't know exactly how much of the Kevin Durant we're going to see. If he's anything like he was in the preseason or 10 times better, he's going to be right there in the conversation. But I'm not going to put my hat on that uh, with him coming off of an injury like that. My pick. My pick. I'm taking I'm taking Luca. I'm taking Luca. Here's the thing. This pick like I'll be honest with y'all. Part of me feels like he may be a year out from getting it, but I also believe he's right there and he can surprise everybody again like he did his first year in the league and his second year in the league. So I'm going to pick him. If he improves the way I believe he will, like we're all in for a treat. Like just watch sit back and watch the Luca show. I'm going to take Luca. I'm going to take Luca. I'm going to put my hat on Luca. My runner-up's going to be Giannis. And here's the thing, like Giannis, just like I was talking about Rookie of the Year and James Wiseman, like it's, this is going to be incredibly close. Like Giannis could absolutely win this award, but it's incredibly, incredibly hard to do it three times in a row. And that's because voter fatigue is a real thing. Like they, they don't, they don't like to give the same person the same award year after year after year. I mean, if LeBron couldn't do it three times in a row, think about that. The last person to win this award three times in a row was Larry Bird in '86. And again, it's not that I don't think Giannis can do it. It's just incredibly, incredibly hard. It's kind of like, I'm the same way though. Like I think about that. Like if you've already won this award, not to mention two times in a row, your numbers have to be astronomical for me to give it to you a third time. Like you have to do things we've never seen you do ever before. Like if he gets behind the three-point line and starts shooting from a 40% clip on top of what he's doing, like book it. Yeah, three times in a row. But it's got to be something like that to make that happen. So... And then my dark horse is going to be AD. Um, I think Anthony Davis has a good shot, but again, with LeBron being right there and them going to want to give LeBron some uh, some votes, that may make it a little bit harder. So Luke is my pick for MVP. And um, I have a whole 72-plus games 
to hope I'm right. Is this the part where I get to say I reserve my right to change my answers? <laughs> so that was part one of my NBA preview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, that was NBA Award Predictions. You know, hit me up on Facebook at The Rough Cut Sports. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Rough Cut underscore sports. On Instagram at The Rough Cut Sportscast. Let me know what you think of these awards. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. We can go back and forth and talk about this all day. I'm just happy basketball's back. And make sure to turn into part two as we talk about the teams that are going to be in the thick of the playoff races. So, for your boy, AJ Johnson from the Rough Cut Sportscast, peace. Peace.